0: Greetings and welcome to the Men of Sorrows podcast. I am William Lloyd, the host of the podcast. Men of Sorrows, Finding Joy is dedicated to encouraging men, supporting men in the work of grief and mourning in the face of loss. Today, I'm going to talk about the concept of suicide being an unforgivable sin or suicide and as an automatic ticket. To hell. The reason why is, as you know, my son Liam John Lloyd, he came out of the Marine Corps as a corporal. Corporal Liam John Lloyd of the United States Marine Corps took his life on May 9th, 2019. He died by his own hand. The reason why I want to teach on this is twofold. One is to give people relief from the idea that suicide is an automatic ticket to hell. And that concept comes from really the church teaching that um, suicide is self-murder and, you know, murderers don't go to heaven. We know if we believe the gospel and study the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's not that cut and dry. I want to say personally, I've come to believe that there is no such thing as hell as a place of eternal conscious torment, that God is going to leave people in the state of being in torment forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. I do not believe that uh, because of scripture, because of my own inner witness, because of logic, really. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and is perfect and doesn't make mistakes, and he pushed the button on creation, knowing That most of mankind would wind up in this place of eternal conscious torment where they suffer forever. I do not care to want to know a God like that, nor be around a God like that, to be quite frank with you. Now, I believed that for a long time because I was told that's what we had to believe, and I kind of just ignored it. But you know what? It didn't allow me to draw close to God either. I don't care who you are, what you say, if you really believe that God will allow people to burn or be tortured or tormented in hell forever and ever and ever, and that the the vast part of the creation will suffer like that, then I don't see how you could really draw near or trust a God that would allow that. Many people say, well, God doesn't send people to hell, they send themselves. Listen, God is even more powerful than that you're taking power away from him then he if he created this whole show if he pushed the button on creation and scripture says without him nothing was made that was made and he knew that would be the end result why did he do it because he was lonely so it doesn't make sense to me And scripturally, I know all the scriptures that are in your mind right now, those that believe this and think that I am blaspheming somehow. I've studied them all. And when you take a second look, that is a big leap to use those scriptures to say God's going to allow people to be in torment forever and ever and ever. So I went out on a tangent there. What I want to focus on is the idea within scripture and christian teaching that suicide sends people or keeps people out of heaven. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 3 and I'm hoping that we get a boo radley moment in all of this. A boo radley moment I always refer to it is if you remember to kill a mockingbird. There was this eccentric family on the block and the kids talked about Boo Radley, who was in there, and it seems now that if you really think about it, he he was slow. He might have had autism, or there was something that didn't work right with his brain. So the kids made stories up about him and imagined that he was evil, that he was bad, that he was going to get people. And all throughout the book, there's clues that Boo Radley is not bad or mean, but that he's good. And at the very end, um, Scout, the little girl, is looking. She's she's talking about this person that came. And anyway, Boo Radley is behind the door. And when he when he comes out behind the door, she looks at him and she sees the kind and the goodness in his eyes and what a gentle, beautiful soul he was. So when I say a Boo Radley moment, I really believe that if you look at the work of Jesus Christ and what he did, he came to show us that God is not who we think God is. Mankind, if you look at the story of the Garden of Eden, what that teaches us, the curse of Adam, is that in all cultures all over the world, you look at the history of religion and the history of people seeking God, All the time, there's an angry God that has to be appeased, and you have to do things to get God to bless you and not curse you, because he's angry, and there needs to be a sacrifice. Now, when Jesus Christ came, he came and he submitted to our hatred, to our death penalty, to our torture on the cross, to our lies, to everything. He submitted to it and never stopped loving us no matter what we did to him. We lied about him. We spit in his face, told him we didn't need him. We rejected him. And in the end, we murdered him. So if you want to put limits on God's unconditional love, we had God in the flesh right here. We had him here with us. And we spit in his face, lied, rejected, and murdered him. And never once did he stop loving anybody. Never once did he change his mind about us to where he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So you let's put it this way. You could spit in God's face. You can tell him you don't want him. You don't need him. You don't like him and you can kill him and he would never stop loving you. So that's the unconditional love of God. And what Jesus did is he overcame sin in that he did not hate when we did that to him. The opposite of love is hate. The opposite of God is hate because God is love. So sin is hate, really. And Jesus never sinned, he overcame sin. And he overcame death in his resurrection. So Jesus came and defeated sin and death once for all. And there's no limits to God's unconditional love. There's none whatsoever. So what we have with my son, Liam, other people that have committed suicide, is someone that is so distraught someone that is really not in their right mind. We try to figure out the suicide of our loved ones by using our logical minds, our healthy minds, our healthy brains, and it's just not that way. We can never, we'll never know. We'll never know what happened in those final moments between God and our loved one. We'll just never know. Now, we have a story in Mark chapter 3, and this is where the the term and the concept of an unforgivable sin comes from. But when you really look at it, there's really beautiful, glorious news here. So we're going to read it. Breaking into Mark chapter 3, Jesus had been healing. Jesus had been doing miracles and healing people, and because he did not fit into the religious leader's idea, of what a holy man should be, what a prophet should be, what the Messiah should be. They accused him of really doing this in Satan's power. So in verse 22, it says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. He said, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. And then he goes on and he says in verse 28, I tell you the truth, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. So, if you look at, if you look what Jesus says there, the first thing he says is, I tell you the truth, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Now, we usually jump right over that, and we look at this, uh, this other thing where he talks about unforgiveness. But, listen to that again, all sins and all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. That is a blanket declaration of the forgiveness of all sins and blasphemies. Now, when I was a young Christian, I thought sin was pretty bad, but blasphemy? Oh my goodness, if you blasphemed, you were really bad and God was really mad. So all sins, all blasphemies will be forgiven. And then he says, he does say, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Now in Matthew 12:31, he says they will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. Now that's important to me and I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. But if you look at it, what what he's what he's saying here is that there is this thing called the, the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and he goes on to say right after that he, he explains what what it is it says he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit right so he he's explaining what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is and basically if Jesus, has an evil spirit, then Jesus is not the Son of God, then Jesus is not the Holy Son of God, Jesus is not the Messiah, Jesus is not the Savior if he has an evil spirit. So the the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject Jesus Christ. That's it. In fact, in John chapter 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of righteousness, of sin and judgment. And he says, because of sin, because men do not believe in me. Now, the tragedy of the whole church is that they took the word sin and they just made it out to be all these petty little things. That this is a sin, that's sin, the kind of music you listen to, the kind of clothes you wear, and it goes on and on. They they messed the whole thing up. Jesus boiled it all down to this unbelief in him. So that's it. It's basically saying that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've received Jesus Christ, you're not going to commit this sin. Because I remember one time in a counseling, pastoral counseling setting, a man said to me, he wanted to know exactly what that was. And I wanted to know why he was so concerned about that. Because he said if anyone was going to commit it, he was. <laughs> and he was really, really afraid. And of course he was afraid because if you do that, according to this, you're not going to make it. But what I do like, like I said in Matthew, when he says they won't be forgiven, not in this age or the age to come. The age to come is the new life, the new heaven, the new earth. Which makes me wonder, does that mean, does that mean that in the, like, there, there's there been this teaching, and this is what I grew up with. I don't know what you grew up with, but I grew up with this teaching that you live your life on earth, and if you don't receive Jesus Christ before you die, the minute you die, your fate is determined. You're going to go to heaven or hell. Well, there, that scripture doesn't teach that. In fact, Jesus is basically saying right here that in the age to come, there's a chance for forgiveness. That's, that's the way I read it. What do I mean by that? Well, when a person dies, do you think that all of a sudden God changes? Or will they still have a chance to receive Jesus? Will they still have a chance to come to him? See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as Brad Jersak says, Jesus is the way, but he's not standing in the way. In fact, if you look at Ian McCormick's testimony, his testimony suggests that yes, there is a chance for post-mortem, what they would call post-mortem repentance. Repentance after you die. A chance to come to Christ after you die. And I say, why not? Do you know that in Colossians it says the gospel is preached to every creature under heaven? Every creature. Well, we know that there are places where the gospel and people never heard of the name of Jesus. So if they die, of course, they're going to have the gospel preached to them. There's no doubt in my mind that there's we do not know what happens and what transpires between the transition of physical death and, and into the next life. Getting back to the scripture at hand, so the unforgivable sin is not suicide. It's not taking your life. It's rejecting Jesus Christ. And I believe, so you might say, well, my... my My loved one died an atheist, and they took their life. So you're saying that they had to accept Jesus Christ. Well, what I'm saying is that even after they took their life, I believe they had a chance that Jesus stood there before them saying, Come to me. Will you let me love you? Will you let me save you? There's scriptural evidence to support that. God is loving, merciful. It says that his mercy endures forever. And what our loved ones faced after they've taken their life is they faced a loving, compassionate, merciful, kind God who loves them more than we could ever love because he's the source of all infinite, unconditional love. And again, that love was proved In Jesus Christ we murdered God and he still loved us and forgave us you don't think that in the despair and the weak mind and the feeble mindedness of those that take their lives you think that Jesus is not going to forgive them not love them not receive them not take him or her to themselves Oh, brothers and sisters, God is so much bigger, so much broader, so much better, so much more beautiful than we can ever imagine. There's a new heaven and a new earth. We will be with our loved ones again. All things will be made right. God is going to fix it all and reconcile it all in his son. In my deepest despair, I remember I was on the kitchen floor, nobody was home, and I was screaming and crying. I was in agony before God, doubting heaven, doubting God's existence, saying, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I failed, Liam. It's my fault. I should have seen it. I have this regret, that regret. I was in total agony. And here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Here's what Jesus told me. He said, son, you have it backwards. There's too much teaching out there that makes it seem like I came light years across the universe, was born in a manger, lived my life in this sin-cursed world, put up with the religious nonsense, submitted myself to death, crucifixion, and rose again from the grave There's too much teaching that says that I did that so you all, the human race, would just get their acts together and if they would get their act together and keep bad things from happening. You get that? That we think that, oh, we get God in our lives and we accept Jesus so that we can get our acts together and keep bad things from happening. But that's not why Jesus did it. Jesus came light years across the universe, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, died to death on the cross, rose again from the grave because bad things happening, because sin and death happen, because of the grief and mourning and pain that we face in this life because of death, the ultimate curse of the fall. Jesus came because those things happened, not to keep them from happening. And he was the answer all along to my son's death, to my grief and loss, to my family's hell that we went through. And I promise you, I don't know if you're early on this journey of grief and loss, suicide of a loved one. If you're early on, I promise you, as you feel the pain and as you move towards the pain and as you cry out to God, there is joy and peace and hope on the other side of this walk. Everybody grieves differently, but you can have that peace and joy return to you. I have more joy in my life now than I've ever had. It's hard to explain because it's mixed with this deep eternal sadness as well. But with all my heart, I believe I'm going to see my boy again and I will be with him in new and beautiful ways. And that there is going to be healing. And Jesus says in Revelation 21 that he will wipe every tear from our eye. Think about that, that intimate act of someone coming up and wiping a tear from your eye. That's how close we are with God. So do not despair. Be of good cheer. God is merciful, kind, loving, and just. And suicide is not unforgivable. And suicide does not cause someone to go to hell. That's blasphemy that's the pharisees teaching that is doctrines of demons and devils to even make people's anguish and torment worse god is a healer and it's in his nature to heal and to love and to encourage and to bring peace so I'm going to end there. If you have any questions, you can email me through the show notes. If you have anything that you want to add or any questions that you might have, or if you have a story to tell and might want to be on the Men of Sorrows Finding Joy podcast, please contact me. My email is in the show notes as well as the ministry's website, my blog page, and other other information for you. Remember, God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness, and nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.